to Truth and Liberty. Thank you for joining our daily live call-in broadcast where trusted leaders bring biblical insights to the issues and you can call in and get your questions answered in real time. According to the Bible, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So call in today to get answers, information, and resources to help you stand for truth and effect godly change in our nation and the world. And now here's your host, Alex McFarland. The battle of ideas and the present moment in which we live. Hi, Alex McFarland here. Welcome to another edition of Truth and Liberty. Folks, we've got a power-packed show tonight as we do this program. All eyes are Truth on and Liberty Israel. Coalition, we Israel work to is unify. in the news. Our nation is in the news. Another speaker has been elected, and uh, they're asking you, what does he believe? What are his positions on so many different issues? So we'll talk about this. And to help us on the conversation tonight, Dr. Jerry Newcomb, a prolific author, and in terms of history and worldview and what different belief systems have done to shape us into the present moment in which we find ourselves. I believe Dr. Jerry Newcomb is an expert, and we'll meet with him in just a moment. But I want to welcome everybody to Truth and Liberty tonight. I'll give a couple of phone numbers, because later on in the program, in just a few brief moments, we'll pick up the phones and take calls and questions. And if you've got a question you want to participate in the program tonight, that number is 719-619-2341. Now, if you need prayer, you want to talk to somebody and you want to know how to become a Christian, or you just need a word of encouragement or a listening ear, then that number, and we want to hear from you as well, is 719-635-1111. It won't cost you a penny, uh, no strings attached, but we will, from an open Bible, show you what God's Word says about your situation. And again, that number for spiritual help and encouragement or prayer that number is 719-635-1111. I want to read a scripture, if I may, and then we'll get straight to our guest. Tonight, a lot of people are talking about two passages of scripture. One is Ezekiel 38, and we talked about that last week with Jan Markell and then Kamal Salim did a couple of shows about Israel and Ezekiel 38 and how the nations of the Arabian Peninsula would attack Israel in the last days. But now let me flip those numbers over, not Ezekiel 38, but Psalm 83, because it lists really 17 people groups that would be the enemies of the people of God. And there's a cry out in Psalm 83, keep not thou silent, O God, hold not thy peace and be not still, for lo, thine enemies make a tumult or a storm or an uprising. And they that hate thee have lifted up the head. They've taken crafty counsel against thy people and consulted against your rulers. You know, as we record this program and broadcast live, some of the hostages released by Hamas have talked about a spider web, and that's the word they use, of tunnels under Gaza. Tunnels big enough for a grown man to walk through. Some underground tunnels wide enough for a, a grand piano to fit through. And I think about crafty schemes against Israel and against the rulers and uh, a, an Anglican hospital that was founded in 1882 that is still, we're told, operated as a Christian hospital to this day. 
bombed by Gaza. It's very tragic, the Hamas terrorists using their own people as a human shield. And they said, this is in the news, amazing, a CNN strategy. Now, what does that mean? CNN very often gets things 180 degrees out of phase, and Hamas uh, making their own bombings look like it were, were done by Israel, uh, doing what they can to maximize the impact on their own people to try to reflect badly on Israel and Israel's allies. Well, th this sounds so much like Old Testament scriptures, and it lists the, uh, the Edomites and the Ishmaelites and the Moabites, the Hagarenes, uh, descendants of Hagar, uh, the enemies of Israel. But here's one last part of this scripture, and then I'll segue to our very special guest. Psalm 83, verse 16 uh, says, Fill their faces with shame that they may seek thy name, O Lord. You see, that's the goal, to act redemptively, that people would ultimately seek the Lord. And then verse 18, that men may know that thou, whose name alone is Jehovah, thou art the most high over all the earth. See, in times of trouble, we seek God, and God wants us to do that. And then we desire that people know God. And know this, be encouraged by this, that just like 17 lists of Gentile nations that are fighting Israel, and even Asher and the children of Lot, that turncoat that should be standing with the people of God and with Israel, they've uh, aligned with God's enemies. Know this, when there's evil going on in the world, malice and wickedness, God knows it. Jehovah God Almighty who sees all and knows all, and he is sovereignly in control over history. God knows who the enemies are. God knows what the enemies are scheming, and God knows the pathway to life, salvation, and victory. What am I saying? We can trust God even in times of danger, in times of uh, uh, you know persecution. We can be sure that God is in control and our welfare is God's primary consideration. He knows how to take care of his own. Well, we're going to segue, and uh, Dr. Jerry Newcomb is one of my favorite scholars, really, because when he worked with uh, D. James Kennedy, and then on his own, and then working with people like Peter Lilback and the Providence Forum, creating incredible resources, and one of which, for Thanksgiving, I want to tell you about um, Jerry Newcomb has proven himself to be an astute scholar, a student of history, a student that has helped so many people understand the battle of worldviews, how ideas have consequences, and how the biblical worldview, the Christian worldview, has shaped history and how we might defend it in these times in which we live. He's our guest. Uh, so honored to have him on, always instructive and inspiring. Dr. Jerry Newcomb, welcome to Truth and Liberty. Thank you, Alex. Great to be with you. Well, it's good to be with you. Hey, before we go too much farther, um, tell people about Providence Forum and the videos that you've created. And um, I do want to talk about the, the Pilgrim video, but where may people find you online? ProvidenceForum.org. And uh, I will say this, 
I, by the grace of God, have been working now for 38 years with Dr. D. James Kennedy's ministry. It's changed names a few times, <laughs> but yeah. uh, a, a few years ago, my responsibilities changed in part where I'm now in charge of the Providence Forum, which was founded by Peter Loback, with whom I wrote a big, thick book about the faith of George Washington. And Dr. Loback is the president of Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, and he gave to D. James Kennedy Ministries Providence Forum, his ministry, and and I was privileged to be the one who's, who's in charge of it. So I'm still... Wow doing a lot of pro programs and productions and so forth for D. James Kennedy Ministries and then a lot of productions for Providence Forum. But one of the things that I've been very concerned about is how Americans do not know our history, even basic things. And so I felt compelled, really, especially with the 400th anniversary of Plymouth being on the horizon a few years ago, 2020. 2020 was the 400 years from 1620, the pilgrims were very significant. Now, in their oh, day, yeah. they were not significant at all, <laughs> but, right. but by God's grace, he used them in, in very powerful ways. So I made a whole series of programs explaining them, and then the Puritans that came after them, and William Penn, and then the, the founding fathers, uh, you know, which today they often presented as if the founding fathers were all a bunch of deists or atheists. A deist is somebody who wouldn't believe in providence. A deist is somebody who uh, yeah. wouldn't believe in a God who answers prayer and so forth. So I made all these programs, and I'm so grateful. And as Dennis Prager says in our Pilgrims video, the Pilgrims founded America for all intents and purposes. Yeah. Oh, amen. Well, you know, uh, Dennis Prager, and uh, when um, you and I were at National Religious Broadcasters earlier this year, I had the great honor of meeting Dennis Prager. I've, you know, listened to him for a lot of years, but uh, he's Jewish. I think about mm -hmm. like Dennis Prager and Ben Shapiro that, that are Jewish, but I mean, they passionately talk about the Christian founding of America. I mean, when you listen to either of those guys, uh, you think you might be listening to, you know, David Barton or Bill Federer or, or yourself. And then, you know, people talk about the pilgrims and the, the brilliance of like William Bradford. Now, First of all, let me ask you this, Dr. Jerry Newcomb. Um, why do serious students of history, that they look at the founding of America and it's very inspiring, and they talk about how we must make people aware of our true founding. Why does the story of the birth of America stir such passions and just really, um, well, passion? Why does it stir such in people, do you think? Well, I, passions on both sides, if you will, because there are those who are very much opposed to that that whole thesis. But historically, the facts are on our side, quite frankly. Uh, yes. the bottom line is, when you look at what actually happened, you, you really feel as if, well, maybe God himself did something very special in the creation of the United States, which has turned out to be such an incredible nation as far as freedom, as far as printing of the Bible, as far as getting the word of, the, of God out, um, sending out so many missionaries. And and even when we go to war, I mean, the vast majority of the times, it's, 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 it's not a war for our, um, you know, aggrandizement or, you know, for us to gobble up a property or whatever. It's, right. it's actually to defend a cause 
a cause that is you know perceived to be just and so forth so there Amen. is a sense in which there's a godly aspect to it now i mean obviously america is not perfect it never has been perfect but there's you know a sense in which so many people to this day alex will risk their lives to try and come to experience what you and i have at our fingertips here in america as as one oh, yeah. man who came from india uh dinesh d'souza he once said it in one of his brilliant films he said i love america in america you can write your own script and that's because and the, the settlers and the founders of america they gave us this experiment of self-rule under god and i think today the left is opposed to both of those facets self-rule no they want the government to be god and they're certainly opposed to god god you know because yeah. they, they don't well, believe well, in god let me say this, and we've had Dinesh on. We love Dinesh, and he is a personal friend. By the way, folks, even this week, tomorrow night is one of the showings of his film Police State, which you can uh, Google that, just Dinesh D'Souza, Police State. You can get a free ticket to a theater. It's being shown. It was shown Monday night. It'll be shown tomorrow night. It'll be shown Friday night. Uh, Dinesh, Dinesh is a great patriot, but Dr. Newcomb, you know, think about this. Another person that we had on, and he has passed away, but uh, the Pulitzer-nominated scholar, um, Dr. Rodney Stark, uh, he talked about America. You, you can't fail to read the history of our nation. And then the trajectory, a miraculous birth, miraculous prevailing in the American Revolution, and then just like vertical, prosperity and achievement. I mean, uh, the automobile, the light bulb, the motion picture, penicillin, indoor air conditioning, the space project went to the moon. I mean, in, in a, a very short time, not only uh, did we become this nation and a nation based on morals, but uh, all these achievements, and as Dr. Rodney Stark would say, he attributed it to, quote, the iron Protestant work ethic. And you look, and uh, another one who said the very same thing, Will Durant, it looks like God blessed America. <laughs> hmm. God birthed America. God sustained America. God prospered America. God blessed America, and America blessed the world. Um, just that, that mere sentiment gets a visceral reaction from the left, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And it's interesting you would mention Will Durant because he and his wife, uh, Ariel, who wrote this whole series of books, The Story of Civilization, multi-volume, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Love now, that. Sound. Not necessarily, yeah, not necessarily a believer. Uh, I'll never forget one of his lines from Caesar and Christ, volume three, where yeah. he said, yeah. Caesar and Christ had met in the arena and Christ had won. And he was talking about how in the Colosseum, the Christians were, were uh, being killed to the amusement of uh, the crowds and so forth. And yet, through it all, the, the cross of Jesus Christ triumphed in, in ancient Rome, which is an amazing story in and of itself. After uh, three centuries of intense persecution, sometimes intense persecution. But in the American experiment, basically what happened was so many uh, factors related to the Christian faith were so important. I mean, for example, okay, the pilgrims set the whole trajectory. 
And what they did was they used the biblical concept of covenant as they, they met together first as a secret church in England. And then later when they were in America, they had a situation where they were blown off course. So they decided to make an agreement for self-government, a written agreement that all the, the men could sign, which was the custom at the day. And it was done in the name of God. Amen. It's called the Mayflower Compact. Was that the Compact. Mayflower Compact? It was. And, and it was based on the biblical concept of covenant. And historians say this was the first beginning of what ultimately led to the two key founding documents in America, the Declaration of Independence in 1776 and the U.S. Constitution, 1787. And again, it gets back to self-rule under God. In between the Mayflower Compact and then those two founding documents, you had a, a plethora of Puritan-type uh, compacts, frames of government, written constitutions. You could see a, a a license plate from Connecticut, and it says the Constitution State. Well, wait a minute. The Constitution was written in Philadelphia, oh, yeah. which okay. is in Pennsylvania, not not uh, Connecticut. No, that's true. But there was something called the Fundamental Orders of Connecticut, written in 1639 in response to a sermon from the Reverend Thomas Fulker, who founded with other Puritans the the, the settlement in in Connecticut, and they said. The purpose of this is the purity and the liberty of the gospel of our Lord Jesus. That's why they were creating this, this settlement. But historians say this was the first fully developed constitution on American soil. And it is in lineal descent of the U.S. Constitution. It contributed directly in some ways to the U.S. Constitution 150 or 40 years later. So... Yeah. This is why to this day they call it that. In fact, Thomas Hooker is often called the father of American democracy because of his contributions. But most people don't know all these things. They don't know how about William Penn, sure. who founded Pennsylvania, which is named after his father. Uh, he said, we're going to base this whole large settlement uh, on the golden rule of Jesus Christ. Matthew right. chapter 7, verse 12. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Uh, William Penn had been jailed in in England for his uh, Quaker views, and he didn't like that. He wanted a place where people could be free to worship Jesus according to the dictates of conscience. And, of course, that extended eventually uh, to worship whomever, whatever. Here in America, you will not be uh, punished for your opinions. And here's an interesting thing. By the time you get to the founding of America— George Washington, who was a devout Christian, and Dr. Loback and I wrote a whole big, thick book. It's called George Washington's Sacred, Sacred Fire. Fire. Oh, yeah, that's a great it, book, it, by the way. Thank you. And it documents all these things. But one of the things I, I want to mention this, here he was, a devout Christian. He wrote letters to the three prominent synagogues of the day saying that here in America, there will be no sanction for bigotry. Here in America, the children of Abraham, the stock of Abraham, I think is the way he worded it, the, the Israelis and so on, the, the Hebrews, they will be afforded peace and tranquility. And there shall be, he, he quoted his favorite Bible verse, Micah 4, 4, Micah chapter 4, verse 4, and every man shall rest under his own vine and fig tree, and there shall right. be none to make him afraid. George Washington viewed that as... Here, this is what we want America to become. Well, right. Alex, fast right. forward to today on some of these Ivy League schools 
and other college campuses right now in the wake of the October 7th uh, attack by Hamas, there are Jews in America who are feeling bigotry against them. They're experiencing it, in some cases beating. And, and this is not what America is all about. This is not what yes. the founders intended. So it's it's ironic that a lot of the secularists today just try and poo-poo, uh, you know, the idea of, uh, you know, George Washington being Christian or even Thomas Jefferson drawing a lot of his ideas from the Bible, which he did. Or, and yeah. Ben Franklin, too. Then not that they were necessarily orthodox, those two last men, uh, you know, in their views. But but bottom line is the, the founders gave us such a great system of freedom. Let me wrap it up this way. Patrick Henry yeah. said, it is when a people forget God that tyrants forge their chains. Mm, say that again. This is so key, folks. Listen to this quote. It is when a people forget God that tyrants forge their chains. And I, wow. I think that is such a great warning for the ages. Do you, and do you know a lot of people, I've read many quotes about, you know, in, in the aftermath of um, the, the Bolshevik Revolution and Russia became the USSR for 70 years, that um, people that lived at that time said it was because they had forgotten God, that Christianity yes. eroded away and into that yep. vacuum came atheistic communism. And folks, yes. it could be here. Now, uh, folks, you, you, those you heard of, that story, right, about Solzhenitsyn? Uh, uh, well, yes, but refresh my memory. Would you share that? Oh, okay, sure. Solzhenitsyn said that he had read as many books as he could just about, you know, on the whole Soviet experiment, which is an experiment in non-self-rule against God. <laughs> it's yeah. the opposite, like the exact opposite of America. Uh, yeah. and, and they wanted to take over the world with this godlessness. They did. There really was a red scare back in the 50s. Now, obviously, yeah. Senator McCarthy overstated it. Anyway, bottom line is Solzhenitsyn said not only had I read all these books about the Soviet uh, experiment in atheistic communism, I wrote many myself, such as the Gulag Archipelago or A Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich or whatever, uh, Alexander. Anyway, bottom line is he said when he was young, he heard some peasants arguing. And one of the peasants said, it is because we have forgotten God. That's why all these things have happened. And Solzhenitsyn said, I have never heard a single better explanation as to what happened in Russia with all the suffering that we had to undergo, you know, through the, the communist revolution. And that one statement from that peasant, we have forgotten sure. God. That's why all these things have happened. Folks, if you're just tuning in, Alex McFarland here. This is Truth and Liberty, an incredible opportunity tonight with Dr. Jerry Newcomb, one of America's preeminent historians, expert, not only on church history, but on the West and American history. Maybe you have a question, and tonight is the night, uh, and you can ask anything, uh, and uh, we entertain any and all questions. We'll do our best to give you a factual, biblical answer. And the number, we'll get to it in a few moments, but it's 719-619-2341, 719-619-2341. If ever our nation needed to recover history that in some quarters has been lost, but in many cases suppressed, uh, our godly history, we must uh, make people aware of it. So, 
Dr. Newcomb, uh, I'm going to throw something out of left field here. And you and I, we don't prepare. We don't, uh, you know, get any kind of a script. We go where I believe the Holy Spirit leads the conversation. But I want to talk about the, the smoking gun. Whenever I speak at a university, and I speak at several colleges a year, and we talk about the Judeo-Christian Foundation of America, very provable, very documentable. But the, the biggest smoking gun that the secularists have is called the Treaty of Tripoli. Um, now, and, and they often use the Treaty of Tripoli to argue that America was not founded as a Christian nation. Do you have any backstory or insights on that that we could use to respond to that accusation that we were not founded on Christian principles? Yeah. Uh, Alex, suppose there was a trial and an attorney wanted to make a case, and he had on one table documents that were piled high, high up, up to the ceiling on one table, and that was in favor of his position, position A. But then on this other table, he had uh, what he wanted to stack up on in favor of position B. And there was just this tiny little thing. That would be like the Treaty of Tripoli compared to all the other things like the charters and so forth that, that talk about how the, this particular colony was founded for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith, to quote the Mayflower Compact or all these different things. But the Treaty of Tripoli, first of all, Dr. Peter Loback notes, that not all translations come out with a statement saying that the United States was not founded in any sense as a Christian nation. That's the that's the the noxious quote. Some people have even said, "Well, George Washington said." Blah blah blah. Uh, George, this is something that was done during the days of the John Adams presidency, the second yeah. president. So he possibly signed it. But Dr. Lilbeck is making the point that. The English version that, that John Adams signed may not even contain those very words, but I've asked David Barton even about this question. David mm -hmm. Barton knows a great deal about American history and even owns uh, you know hundreds and th actually thousands of the documents, original documents and books and so forth, or reprints thereof about America's founding, showing the Christian roots of our nation. And he said that, yeah, let's, uh, let's take the worst case scenario. Suppose that's that was a genuine statement. Uh, it was made by Sidney Barlow, as I recall, one of the founding mm. fathers, not one of the main founding fathers. But but let's say it was it was genuine. Okay, mm. there is a sense in which the United States wasn't founded uh, as a Christian nation. You are not forced here in America to belong to any particular denomination. You are mm -hmm. free to believe. Or, or not to believe in America. Thomas Jefferson said in 1777, when he wrote the Virginia Statute for Religious Freedom, which was adopted in 1786, when he was already in France by that time. And he said, Almighty God hath created the mind free and all attempts to force people to believe things, I'm paraphrasing now, uh, to force people to believe things against their conscience or against their will, all it does is beget habits of hypocrisy, and it's a departure from the plan of the holy author of our religion. And clearly, the, the, there's no other person in mind that he has when he's talking about this than Jesus Christ. This mm -hmm. is the departure yeah. from the plan of the holy author of our religion, who being Lord, both of body and mind, chose reason and not coercion 
in order to propagate belief in him, as was in his almighty power to do. In other words, Jesus Christ, being divine, had the power to force people to believe if he if he chose so, if he wanted to do that. He did not choose so, and we will give an account to him one day. But in the meantime, it, the state shouldn't be imposing doctrine. Here's the deal. The founders gave us freedom of religion. That includes the freedom from religion, if you will. What right. the atheists want is freedom from religion. That restricts the believer from believing what they do. So in other words, hold that thought. Hey, forgive me. For, forgive me. Uh, we've got to take a brief break, folks. We're going to come back. This is so important. Stay tuned. Dr. Jerry Newcomb, when truth and liberty returns after this brief break. At Truth and Liberty Coalition, we work to unify, educate, and mobilize the body of Christ to change nations. That's why I want to encourage you to go to our website at truthandliberty.net and subscribe so that you can begin receiving regular updates uh, about our show, news items, action alerts, blog posts, and much, much more. Uh, all you have to do is go to the website, click subscribe, share your email address, and you'll begin to be equipped to stand for truth in the public square. You were created with a purpose, written in the heart of God, long before you were born. He is calling you to find it. We want to help you experience His unconditional love, to be equipped and empowered to become a world changer. Hey everybody, Richard Harris here. I wanted to let you know that the Truth and Liberty live call-in show is now on Twitter. You can watch us there at 3.30 Mountain Time, 5.30 Eastern Time, five days a week. Just go and follow us on Twitter at Truth and Liberty Co. That's C-O. And remember, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So don't miss out. Watch us live on Twitter. Truth and Liberty is back. Alex McFarland here will re rejoin our conversation with our very special guest, Dr. Jerry Newcomb, uh, great filmmaker, great writer, and historian. Hey, I want to do a little commercial, if I may. First of all, the telephone calls, if you have a question, we would love to hear from you, and we will entertain any and all questions. The number is 719-619-2341. But think about this, folks. The website, truthandliberty.net truthandliberty.net. Uh, so many great resources. I just this morning saw a brand new article written by Richard Harris. I've written several articles and we want to keep you informed and in all of the great news stories and press releases and op-eds that we create. You can go to truthandliberty.net slash subscribe and we would love to keep you up to date. Um, also, I'm going to be on the road next year. I'm on the road like every weekend, but The Cove. I don't know if you've ever been to the Billy Graham Training Center in Western North Carolina. It is beautiful. Oh my goodness, The Cove is just amazing. And uh, it's my privilege to speak there. This will be like my 18th summer, I believe it is. Next summer, July 12th through 14, I'll be at The Cove. I'll be teaching First John. And my subject it's really an honor. Uh, Will Graham, the son of Franklin Graham, is the leader of the Cove. And if you ever get invited to speak there, which is a, a real honor, 
They ask you to teach through a book of the Bible. Now, I've taught through Romans. I've taught through Colossians. I've taught through Proverbs, Daniel, Revelation. Well, next summer, I've never done it. I'm going to teach 1 John. And that book is so strong on salvation. And I'll be teaching on the believer's identity, the believer's authority. It's going to be great. The food is amazing. The fellowship. And you think about this. They say Billy Graham and his wife, Ruth Graham, they prayer walked over those hillsides. And all I can say is if you come to the cove, you will truly experience the presence of God. You will. And the website is thecove.org, T-H-E-C-O-V-E, thecove.org. Google my name, Alex McFarland. I'd love to see you next summer at the cove. The other thing I would say is um, give God the glory. My brand new book, 100 Bible Questions and Answers for Families. And uh, I, I praise God. It's my, my 20th book, 100 Bible Questions, some of which have probably come from this program and the radio shows, and it's everywhere. Uh, support your local Christian bookstore. If you have a Christian bookstore, please patronize them or all of the major booksellers, retail and online. But I give God the glory. Um, Here's why we do what we do, folks. Psalm 115, verse 1 says, Not unto us, O Lord, give glory, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for the sake of the truth. Here's why we're doing what we're doing. Here's why we're calling you to be bold for the gospel and for truth. It's for God's glory and because this is true. Uh, Dr. Jerry Newcomb is my guest, and Dr. Newcomb, when people, especially mass numbers of people, when they believe that which is false, you know, whether it be about God or history or morality, when people believe falsehood, that jeopardizes the future of the country, and it jeopardizes our ability to live and proclaim the gospel, doesn't it? It does, because it undermines the morality and, uh, you know, as I pointed out earlier, the founders expected the people to be virtuous. They they gave oh us a very limited government, but the only way it really works is that the people are virtuous. You There's there's kind of a trade-off, if you will, between uh, how much a person controls himself versus how much the government has to control uh, oh. you know, the people. Well, let me say that? this. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, for, forgive me. Um, in California... Okay, just look at the dominoes falling, folks. And I want to preemptively say, please forgive me for this is this is just not polite conversation. But in California, they're not prosecuting loitering, okay, standing around. Well, this is just, they're not prosecuting much of any crime in California. But now prostitutes that were breaking the law by loitering on street corners, people are having open nudity in public and open sexual acts, not getting prosecuted, and parents don't want to take their kids outdoors because of objectionable, unspeakably immoral things that children might see. Dr. Newcomb, have you seen that story out in just the the lawlessness out in California? Yeah, California, it's crazy. Our, Our son used to live in San Francisco that was one of America's most beautiful cities. I mean, even 10 years ago, yeah. uh, it was it was incredible. Now it's just becoming a heck hole. I mean, it just, uh, there's, yeah. 
human waste on, on public streets and so forth. They actually have to pay people to go around and collect those. And they say that you, you could see a lot of hypodermic needles and there's drug yeah. users and the homeless en encampments and, and so forth. But they, they have just, boy, they are ruining such a beautiful state. Weather-wise, California has so much to offer and yet yeah. they, you know, the the U-Haul trucks are going from California to Texas or Florida or other Georgia to other places. But what I was going to say about this self-rule idea, yeah. did you ever see there's a 90-second brilliant, brilliant public service announcement that is hosted by a man, he, he's deceased now, named Clay Christensen. He's a professor at Harvard Business School. And it, it's really brilliant. And the gist of it is, he said, I had a student from China come and visit me. And he said he was really surprised at how religious society was, but he also was a little concerned because he could see that the, the influence of religion was going down. And he said, the more the, the influence of the religion is going down, the more we need, you know, the police state, you know, to use your phrase from, from uh, Dinesh D'Souza. And it's so true. And yeah. so the, the more internal self-government we have, the less we have the need for the state to take over. But, but what's happening is uh, people have lost the self-control. They've lost the love of Jesus, you know, in their hearts and so forth. And so with their hard hearts, you know, our fellow citizens are, are creating, you know, a nightmare in America. And so what we need is really more genuine revival. In yeah. fact, the descendant of uh, one of the descendants of John Winthrop, the man who said, we must consider as we shall be as a city on a hill. When he and the other Puritans founded Boston, 1630, a city on a hill, a phrase from Jesus, but a nice image for what America could be in all of its good aspects. And so his descendants was a speaker of the House of Representatives in the mid-1800s. He was also a president of a Bible society, or he spoke at the Massachusetts Bible Society. He gave this long message, but basically said, the more self-control we have through reading the Bible, the better off society is. The less of that that we have, then the more we need of more government action. He said, ultimately, the choice is the Bible or the bayonet. You know, in yeah. other words, big government to police things, or we police ourselves through the love of God. And have you ever George heard Washington, the, again, you know, religion and morality are indispensable supports for for our uh, republic. Uh, there's a quote by G.K. Chesterton. By the way, G.K. Gilbert Keith Chesterton was a British apologist and defender of Christianity. And there's a lot we could say about what he did to uh, really aggressively defend truth. But it's a famous quote by Chesterton. He said, uh, we can control ourselves by the Ten Commandments within, or we'll have to be controlled by the 10,000 commandments from without. And what Chesterton meant by that, there's the, the very simple law of God written on the heart of all people, uh, or there, there's the complex, never-ending law of man, law upon law, 10,000 commandments. He, Chesterton said, we control ourselves within, or we'll have to be policed from without. And, and that's a very insightful yeah. quote. Jerry, don't you think liberals... And, and, oh, go ahead, go ahead. 
Yeah, no, and, and and here's here's the deal. Divine accountability. We have to understand this is what people have lost. They've lost the idea that uh, there may even be some people listening to us right now who don't think that when they die, anything's going to happen. They don't realize or acknowledge that they're going to stand before a holy God in judgment. God is going to hold us accountable. Uh, and of course, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are forgiven uh, of your sins because the blood is, is saving you. It's just like God told Moses in the Passover, take the blood of the lamb. This is 1400 years before Jesus. Take the blood of the lamb and put it on the outside of their houses. Put it on the top and the two sides of your houses. Then the, when the angel of death sees the blood of the lamb, it will pass over that house. Yeah. Are we covered by the blood of the lamb? Jesus was the ultimate, you know, lamb, the lamb of God. And so anyway, when people uh, live for Jesus, it makes such a difference in the world. But this this whole idea of divine accountability is so important. It, it, could yeah. I give a quick anecdote? Please, please, yes. Okay. About 30 years ago, Ted Turner, no friend of Christianity, said, okay, the Ten Commandments are obsolete. We need to you know, get rid of the Ten Commandments. I have a humble suggestion instead, you know, a replacement. They were called the Ten Voluntary Initiatives. Well, D. James Kennedy and I decided we should quote that, at least in the, you know, in a, an end note in the back of the book of, of our book called What if the Bible had never been written? And here's the interesting thing about that is I've asked people about that story. Do you remember when Ted Turner said the Ten Commandments are obsolete? Here's my, you know, suggestions for replacements. And very few people even remember the story. Yeah. But here's the bottom line of the people who do remember the story. How many can name the, you know, any of Ted Turner's voluntary initiatives? Most people can't of those yeah. who, who even remember it. And the bottom line is Ted Turner is not going to hold us accountable on the day of judgment. Jesus Christ is going to hold us accountable on the day of judgment. Yeah. That's the difference. The Ten Commandments have power because there's the lawgiver himself is the one before whom we shall have to give an account on the day of judgment. So right. that that's the bottom line. See, in fact, Bill Fetter, who you know, one of the guests in our uh, and you you know him too. He's one of the guests in our whole series on the Foundation of American Liberty series. Yeah. But he makes a good point. He said, if you look at the constitutions, the state constitutions, how in the early days, you know, they mentioned the Christian faith, they mentioned God and so forth. They said, for example, in the state of Pennsylvania, to be a legislator, you have to believe in Jesus Christ. You have to believe that the Old and the New Testaments are divinely inspired. You have to believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they have to sign all this and so forth. Well, later, uh, versions of the Constitution of Pennsylvania said things like, well, in order to hold office in this state, you have to believe that there is a God and he will be the rewarder of the good and the punisher of the bad. In other words, divine accountability. They, In other words, they secularized it in the sense of less explicitly Christian religion, but there's still the sense of divine accountability, accountability yeah. before God. And we have lost that. We have lost the fear of the Lord in the land. Yeah. And so you have, you have kids blowing away kids and, uh, you know, without uh, realizing it. And it's like, hello, 
Listen, well, get your act in order. You know, one day we're all going to give an account before God and give an account even for every idle word we speak. Well, you know, uh, Dr. Newcomb, even in my home state of North Carolina, where I, I'm in North Carolina as we do this broadcast, uh, the original fundamental charter of the Carolinas, because originally nor what, what we call North and South Carolina were one large land area at one point, but the original charter and I've gone to Raleigh, the state capital, to see this for myself. Um, originally, it said to be a resident or landowner, you had to profess the Christian faith. Mm -hmm. um, then, in 1835, the North Carolina Charter was amended. I was speaking at UNC Chapel Hill, and um, you know, a student mentioned that we were secular and we should live not by religious zealots, but by our state charter. And I, I said, you, do you want to live uh, in light of the North Carolina Constitution? They said, of course. And I said, well, good, me too. Because in 1835, it says to be elected to public office in North Carolina, you have to profess the Protestant faith and belief in the Old and New Testaments as the Word of God, you know. They didn't know that, but that's our state charter. But what I was going to say was that um, they, they knew, all right, accountability to God, and that was softened to, to mean, you know, believe in like some general judgment. I don't know if you remember when Barack Obama was running for office, he was asked about sin. And he defined it as, quote, not living in accord with your values. Well, mm. I mean, what if my values are, you know, goodness, you know, Adolf Hitler did live in accord with his values. Hamas mm. is definitely acting out in accord with their values. It's not my subjective preference or values. It's God's word. You know, Romans 1, 19 through 21 says that God's law is written on every heart. Romans chapter 2, uh, 15 and 16 say that the law of God is written on the heart. Dr. Newcomb, uh, don't we need to you know, forget about somebody's preferences or bias or values? We need to get back to the law of God revealed, known, and written on the heart of all people, don't we? Yes, we do. And in fact, the founding fathers uh, you know, where one time a study was done, you, you know about this, in the in the 1980s by Heinemann and Lutz. And I had the privilege, by the way, to interview Donald Lutz about 20 years ago, and he was fantastic. He's the, yeah. the Lutz of that. But at bottom line is they, they studied all these different documents that were from the founding fathers era uh, related to, you know, the creation of our founding documents and the government, you know, the, the Northwest Ordinance, all the different legal things that the founding fathers produced. Bottom line is what Heinemann and Lutz wanted to find out is they said there was about 15,000 different references that the founding fathers met, uh, mentioned, you know, the different sources that they were quoting. What were the sources of importance to the founding fathers? And they discovered four times more than any human author the quotes came from the Bible, and the wow. the book quoted the most was Deuteronomy, which is you know um, explaining the law because there's legal aspects uh, from the Bible that are taught in the book of Deuteronomy. And then, as far as human authors are concerned, they quoted Montesquieu, 
Mm -hmm. uh, Sir William Blackstone and John Locke in that order. John Locke, by the way, uh, was a key author of that Carolina Charter, the original one back in the 1600s when before it split into North and South Carolina. And right. uh, Carolina, by the way, and I learned this from Bill Federer, that is named after Charles I, the right. king that was beheaded uh, in, in 1649 wow. in the, the Civil War of, of Great Britain and so forth. Cromwell uh, won, and, and that was a, a war really all about religion and religious freedom and conscience and so forth. But going back to these three, these three human sources, okay, Montesquieu talks about how basically the Protestant religion in, in particular favors republic form of government. And he was very clear about the three separation, separate branches of government. That was very important. Sir William Blackstone, he was a British jurist. He wrote four volumes, four commentaries on the laws of England. And sometimes he's, he's categorized as if he's an enlightenment thinker. Well, so William Blackstone absolutely believed in the scriptures. He said that what God has done is he's impressed upon his own creation in all of nature, his laws. So the phrase, the laws of nature and of nature's God, that's a phrase from the Declaration of Independence, one of the four times it mentions God. That's a phrase virtually right out of Blackstone. He said, when the supreme being, when God has created this world, he created and impressed within his creation his will. But he said that because this world has fallen, we need to supplement what we have in natural law through revelation. And where do we find that? In the Holy Scriptures. And, uh -huh. and this is these are this is, you know, one of the key sources that the founding fathers were quoting. John yeah. Locke, not a hundred percent orthodox in all of his theological views, but overall a Christian man. In fact, he wrote a book called The Reasonableness of Christianity. I know personally a man wow. who became born again while studying for his PhD at Yale University. He became born again because he studied John Locke and the reasonableness of Christianity. It was like, oh, oh wow. And he, he crossed over from death into a spiritual life, eternal life uh, through that, through the, the, the ministry of John Locke. And again, major source of importance to the founding fathers. So here they were quoting the Bible and then Christian sources as well. Uh, it was those ideas, ideas that, for example, man is fallen, man is sinful. Uh -huh. Well, how do you create a government with sinful men since sinful men will not only uh, be governed, but they're even the ones who are gonna run the government and men are not angels. And if men were angels, we wouldn't even need government. I'm paraphrasing and not very in a very good way. I mean, that, that's a but quote there, if, if men were angels. Yeah, yeah Federalist that. number 51 by James Madison, if men were angels, then we wouldn't even need government. But men are not angels, so we need government. But then how do we protect the governed from the government itself, since the government is run by men who are not angels? It's, it's very important to understand the founders knew what the Bible said is absolutely true. And it's a witness of all history. Man is sinful. You Amen. know, Alex, we're dealing so much with Marxism today. And one of the big flaws in the thinking of Marx was that, well, basically man is good. It's the structures that are bad. We got to tear it all down. And once the workers, the proletariat, sees the means of production, uh, you know, in the capital, the capital itself, and then once they seize the reins of government, then they will distribute everything fairly. 
and there'll be no need for government. Government will wither away of its own accord. No, man is so sinful. All it did was just grease the skids for dictators like like Stalin and so forth to arise. But Lenin is very much uh, evil in in that whole process. I mean, they they thought, well, we'll kill a bunch of people in order to impose communism, but then everything will be fair and everything will be good. And uh, we won't allow religious freedom. But if there are any churches, we absolutely will not allow them to preach about the millennium because the millennium has come. We are the millennium. Even to this day, it's my understanding that in China, uh, which keeps a close watch on whatever churches that are there, no one is allowed to preach about paradise, the, the paradise to come on earth through Jesus Christ, the millennium, because if they did, that's that people would know against their theology. The, the, the <laughs> in other words, they brought is... the millennium, supposedly, the workers' paradise. And if you believe uh, well, that, uh, enjoy going to Cuba, you know. We've got a number of questions that have come in online and that I've got a few more myself. But here's here's a question um, from online. What can we do when our top politicians don't follow the Constitution? Well, that's a great question because the Constitution does talk about, you know, redress of, of grievances and so forth. Uh, you know, that is a very important topic. And in fact, I know that... Uh, the retired writer Pat Buchanan even wrote a book many years ago, Conservative Victories, Liberal Results, or something something to that effect. In other words, mm. there were too many times where, you know, somebody would arise and they would have, they would espouse conservative values. And then when they would govern, they would actually not govern that way. And, and so conservatives have been very disappointed. And you know, my first observation is, well, let's always remember this. Put not your trust in princes. Because oh, wow. yeah. Human beings will, will let us down. That's a quote from one of the Psalms. Human beings will let us down. Even the professing Christians sometimes uh, that, that, uh, that govern, you know, don't always do so in, in, in Christian ways. I think one of the, again, the brilliance of the founding fathers is they created a system so that there would be so many checks and balances because of the sinfulness of man. So if you don't like the congressman that you've got currently, well, within two years, Lord willing, you, 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 you can vote recourse. him out. So, yeah, you, there, there, are, there are recourses, but it is difficult. And I, I will say that, um, you know, the, the, it just seems like the the double standard, um, the way the justice system is meted out, justice is meted out, is just unbelievable. I mean, the, yeah. What, for example, all the riots of Antifa and Black Lives Matters, you know, in 2020, and all the violence and the bloodshed and the you know people killed and so forth, that has not really been dealt with in terms of you know yeah. justice, as opposed to let's say the January 6th people where you have people in jail for more than a thousand days and they haven't even been charged with a crime yet. Well, yeah. that's not constitutional. So we could see a lot of breakdowns, uh, you know, in the system. And, and uh, as Cal Thomas liked to say, you know, well, don't think the savior is going to come in on Air Force One. But there is a difference between some politicians well, and others. There is a difference between a, a, a true type of Christian statesman. Cal Calvin Coolidge once said this, if bad men don't hold office, 
I'm sorry, if good men don't hold office, bad men will. And yeah. I, I think, you know, what one of the things we can do is support with our prayers and even financially and maybe even with volunteers, those few that really are good. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I live in Florida and I I just think Ron DeSantis is, is just tremendous in the job yeah. that he's done. And I see the the positive fruit and so forth, but but believe me, he's got a big target, you know, on his head. There are a lot oh, yeah. of people that, are, you know, really uh, upset with him. But but I would say again, put not your trust in princes. But uh, in the meantime, if we just abandon everything and just say, well, it's not working, so forget it. Well, I don't. That's only going to make things worse. You know? Yeah. So well, exactly. And let me just say, folks, as as a pastor of two different churches, look, I understand the fine line of diplomacy that pastors think they have to walk sometimes. But look, if you're in a position of leadership, if you pastor a church or you teach or you're you're any kind of a figure of leadership. We need to talk about the election, talk about the issues, encourage Christians to vote. Dr. Newcomb, we've got a break looming over us here, folks, but don't you think uh, being an engaged citizen and voting and voting, voting godly, uh, that's really a stewardship issue, isn't it? it? It totally is. And it's shocking that there are even some professing Christians these very days as dark as they are, that aren't registered to vote, or if they uh, they are yeah. registered, they don't participate in the the primary process. And one person told me that uh, you know your vote in a primary is ten times more important than your vote in the general election. Interesting. It's true. I, I got to say this as I take us out of this break. My wife Angie and I we voted in the last primary here in North Carolina, Guilford County, largest county in the state. And we went to the polling place. It was like nobody there. We didn't mm -hmm. have to wait in line. I mean, like nobody votes in the primaries. And so your vote carries a lot of weight. Now, folks, Truth and Liberty is going to come back. We've got a brief commercial break. Don't go away. Our very special guest, historian, author, and commentator, Jerry Newcomb. Stay with us. We got to stop looking at this word as someday. We got to look at it. it is for now. And the spirit of God, don't you think is big enough to teach you, to show you how to do things? Stop thinking that one day when I am super spiritual or when I have the money I need. No, start doing what he called you to do right now with the strength you have. So Father, we say yes to that today. Hey, you know, a big part of what we do here at Truth and Liberty is to provide you with the resources that you need in order to stand for truth in the public square. So I want to remind everybody to go to our website and check out our resources page at truthandliberty.net slash resources, where you can find material that discusses just about every issue we're facing today in our culture. And these are things that are prepared by our strategic partners and some of the uh, most influential and important organizations in America today. Hi, my name is Carrie Pickett, and like many of you, I wear lots of hats. But most of all, I'm a child of God. Ever since I was young, my desire has been to share the unconditional love of God. There is nothing more rewarding to me than people changing their lives and then changing the world. That's why I'm inviting you to join me wherever you are, and let's discover together these foundational truths that will transform your life. 
Welcome back to Truth and Liberty. Alex McFarland here along with our very special guest, Dr. Jerry Newcomb. Hey, by the way, folks, uh, thousands of people are watching these broadcasts. They're being inspired. People are coming to Christ. People are coming back to Christ. People are getting the voter guides and feeling engaged and influencing others. And so this is a great work and a great movement. And I would ask all of you watching to pray about supporting Truth and Liberty. If you would go to the website, truthandliberty.net slash donate, and you could become a partner with us. And, you know, all of these incredible guests that we have, like Dr. Jerry Newcomb and guests like Ken Ham and Bill Federer, and we had Dr. Susan Michael of the International Christian Embassy in Jerusalem, and Jan Markell, and I mean, so many guests. Um, I mean, there are some huge names. And, and let me just tell you how I know we're making an impact, because more and more every, every day in my inbox, people are asking me, and I mean, the, the household names of theologians, scholars, uh, celebrity commentators that are conservative and Christian, they're emailing me. They say, hey, Alex, may I please be on Truth and Liberty? This is making a difference. So be, become a partner with us. Would you do that? Go to truthandliberty.net slash donate. For your recurring gift of at least $5 a month, uh, you're a partner, and we value your prayers, your support. Hey, folks, we're not afraid of hard work. But we've got to stand together. We've got to link arms, lift up Jesus Christ, proclaim truth. People like David Barton and Tim Barton and Jerry Newcomb helping us proclaim that truth. And together, God is using what we're doing to make a difference because the Bible promises in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. So donate today, stand with us, and please know that we're grateful. Well, we're going to take a, a caller, the beautiful state of Missouri, uh, Frank from Missouri. Th Frank, thanks for holding. Uh, welcome to our conversation with Dr. Jerry Newcomb. Uh, I appreciate so much, you, you, Alec, and, uh, and the ministry and the spirit of the Lord, really, like what you just got done saying. And mm -hmm. I noticed, uh, Alec, that uh, you were, while he, uh, Brother Newcomb was giving those, the answers to the questions, that you were flipping through your Bible, or you were, you were uh, gently turning the pages and looking at the Scripture while he was answering the questions. And that just is so much uh, liberty and freedom that, uh, yeah, I I want to receive uh, the the answers that these brilliant people have, but I I want to see it for myself in, in in the book. And so so it, you know, my question. I have a simple question uh, about the Bible. That uh, which or what book was uh, uh, what book was the first. Which book did the first Continental Congress in the United States of America print? The first book. Uh, Dr. Newcomb, okay. you mean I don't about know. The Bible you... itself? Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with this. Uh, during, during the colonial time, even as the war was beginning to develop and so forth, the, the 
War for American Independence, uh, there was a shortage of Bibles. Prior to that, all Bibles had to be imported. Well, there was a printer in Philadelphia named Robert Aitken, A-I-T-K-E-N. I mentioned him recently in, in my one of my weekly columns because basically what happened was the Continental Congress voted to allow him to be able to have permission to, to print the Bible, and they wrote a forward to it, you know, basically kind of like an endorsement, you know, like, a, mm-hmm. Alex, you know, you... You want Matt Staver? Hey, Matt Staver, write this forward for me for my for my particular book. Would you please do that? And so the so, Continental Congress did that for Robert Aiken, in in his book was uh, published in 1782. Now, Doctor Lilback told me that they were only able to make about 10,000 copies because by that time, then there were others that were able to go ahead and and print copies of the Bible at a much cheaper rate, so he wasn't able to to do more than 10,000. Dr. Lilbach said there's so few copies of that, they're now a, quite a collector's item, and he said that that one copy of the Robert Aitken Bible printed in 1782, with the blessing of the Continental Congress itself, uh, actually it wouldn't be the Continental, it would be the U.S. Congress, but that's a, anyway, right. Uh, it would sell for a hundred thousand dollars. So it's it's quite quite a, a, an object. It's, it's very interesting. But in the streets of Philadelphia to this day, near Penn's Wharf, okay, if you go to Penn's Wharf and just walk around the streets there, you can see this sign. Here is where Robert Aiken printed his Bible. You know, back in 1782, the only wow. direct example that where it was published. Uh, or, or promoted rather and, and endorsed by the, the the Congress. But you think about that. Well, what about the separation of church and state? You know, somebody might ask, you know, what is the what is the Congress doing promoting a Bible? Yeah, well, what is Congress doing hiring chaplains for the legislative sessions or for the military? What is the, the Continental Congress doing or the Congress of the United States doing having the Liberty Bell as our or a symbol that's got a Bible verse on it, you know, proclaim yeah. liberty throughout the land and to all the inhabitants thereof. In other words, the founders did not intend America to be some sort of secular wasteland. Sure. And that's what we're having, you know, in effect, shoved down our throats these days. You remember earlier I was talking about freedom of religion versus freedom mm-hmm. from religion. The founders okay. gave us freedom of religion. That includes freedom for all, including the non-believer. Freedom from religion, that's more like the Soviet-style model, where you are free to believe only if you're an atheist. And if you're Well, Dr. Newcomb, pers- let me ask this. The, what's famously called the non-establishment clause of the First Amendment, haven't the liberals over like the last, say, 50 years parlayed that? It says, Congress will make no law regarding the establishment of religion nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof. But hasn't that clause sort of been parlayed into us being a, a forcibly secular state? Yeah, and it began really in earnest in 1947 when the U.S. Supreme Court, in a case called Everson versus the Board of Education, they took that phrase, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, and then they quoted an obscure letter that Thomas Jefferson had written to the Danbury Baptists in 1802, in which he quoted that, and then he said, thus 
the people of the United States erect through their elected representatives erected a wall of separation between church and state. Now, Jefferson wasn't even there when the Constitution was written, was not was written. He wasn't there when the First Amendment was written. By the way, when the Constitution was written, he was in France. When the First Amendment was written, he was in, in Virginia. But bottom line is, he's not one of those who participated in it. But even his letter itself violates the separation of church and state, the way the ACLU understands the whole idea. Because the letter goes on to say that, uh, you know, basically this is all for conscience sake, that the church should be, you know, protected effectively. But he's saying that, uh, you know, at the end of the letter, he says, I want you to pray to Almighty God for me, and I'll pray to God for you on your behalf. An official violating the separation of church and state? He wrote that letter on a Friday. Two days later, Dr. D. James Kennedy pointed out he did what he normally did when he was president of the United States. He went to church. Where did he go to church? He went to church in the U.S. Capitol building. Back in those days, you know, Washington, D.C. was a mud hole in many ways. There weren't many church buildings that existed. So, so many of them, so many of the people feeling that there's so many Christians here, let's have church services uh, on Sunday morning right here in the U.S. Capitol. Initially, really? they were done in the in the Supreme Court chambers, and then uh, later it, they got to be so um, you know well attended that they did them in the the lobby in that that rotunda where you see all those beautiful eight paintings, four of which have a Christian influence, you know, the, oh, like yeah. the pilgrims holding that gigantic Bible and the, upside down, you can see the words where it says the New Testament of our Lord Jesus Christ right there in the U.S. Capitol. Anyway, bottom line is uh, when I've told people that Jefferson went to church on a regular basis as president, uh, you know, in the U.S. Capitol, Christian worship services Sunday morning, they've said, what about the separation of church and state? The founders didn't give us the separation of church and state. Now, you could say there's a, a sense in which there was always been a separation of the jurisdiction of the church from the jurisdiction of the state. The state is not to control the church. The church is not to control the state. Yes, right. but there's no question that godly influence was welcome uh, on the part of the state. There's no question about that. The founders did not intend America to be a secular wasteland. Even Jefferson himself, in fact, I had the privilege to co-write a book called Doubting Thomas. I was going to mention this book. Folks, wrote that with Mark Lyles. Yeah, well, folks, you've got to check out the works of Dr. Jerry Newcomb. And by the way, and now hold that thought. Doubting Thomas is a great book. I've given away a number of copies, The Spiritual Life of Thomas Jefferson. But um, a month from now is, is Thanksgiving, the month of November. And when I was a pastor in Greensboro, twice we showed this incredible documentary on the pilgrims. Now, I know, Dr. Newcomb, you've done a lot of other incredible work. Uh, folks, look, uh, you don't even have to pray about this. It is God's will. Get this DVD, show it at your church. I'm being facetious, of course. But the video on the pilgrims, what is that and where can people find that, Dr. Newcomb? Sure, providenceforum.org. The Pilgrims film is one of seven films that I've made uh, for Providence Forum. And it's part of a series called The Foundation of American Liberty. And if anybody asks, well, what's the foundation of American liberty? It's our Judeo-Christian heritage. 
And by God's Amen. grace, we have guests like Dennis Prager, Bill Federer, Alveda King, Dr. Oh, Peter Lobeck. Oh. He's not in that particular episode, but Paul Jaley is, and uh, Leo Martin, and even a man that was a direct descendant by nine generations of the Pilgrim's de facto pastor there in Plymouth. Uh, William Wrestling Brewster is the man living alive. Today, his ancient relative was William Brewster, one of those on the Mayflower that wrote up the Mayflower Compact. But we use a lot of the words of the pilgrims themselves in trying to show the story. All they wanted to do was worship Jesus Christ and the purity of the gospel. And yeah. they had so many obstacles in their way. But by God's grace, they were able to do it and inadvertently ended up you know, setting a wonderful trajectory for the United States as one nation under God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, let me say this. We're, we're not that old of a nation. Dr. Newcomb, I was preaching in Paris, Tennessee, which is outside of Nashville, and I, I met a man. I've got a photo with him. This is from September of 21, so two years ago. But um, he was like a six, gener six or seven generations removed, but his like great-grandfather, you know, times five or six, signed the Declaration of Independence. And, and I've got his name. I've got a picture with him. And, I mean, what's amazing, folks, and I want you to comment on this, what Dr. Newcomb. What, what, is, what was the last name? Uh, I, I didn't get his—I've got his name, oh. but I, I can't call oh, it to I'm memory. Sorry. That but, is so that that is cool. There are people around. Yeah. And we're comparatively a young nation, aren't we? I, I've I've heard it said America is too young to die. And uh, <laughs> I, right. I mean, just two centuries, two and a half centuries, if if we could have a move of God and it's going to take a revival, folks, it's going to take your prayers and intercession. And then we influence people, um, as Lincoln said at Gettysburg, government of the people, by the people, for the people, every one of us doing what we can do, mindful that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Mindful that the word of God does not return void. That's Isaiah 55. Um, we've, we've got to have this ethic of personal involvement and personal influence. And I, I believe, Dr. Newcomb, maybe I'm naive, I believe God can save a nation, but but we've got to want it enough to participate. Am, am I right? Yes, and and that would include prayer as, as a key point. You know, it's interesting that there was a, a great Puritan who in some ways he cast in one sentence the history of America, and he said this in the early 1700s, Cotton Mather. He said oh, yeah. that religion begat prosperity, and the daughter hath consumed the mother. And what he meant by that was, because of Christianity, we have really prospered here, and in our prosperity, we have forgotten God. And that's a very interesting point. That is said in the scriptures, really, in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Deuteronomy chapter 8. When you get to the promised land and you start to succeed and enjoy all these wonderful blessings, don't forget it came from my hand. It, you know, in your prosperity, don't forget me, says God. 
Deuteronomy 6. Now, what's interesting, too, yeah. is that during the dark days of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln issued one of the greatest proclamations, you know, in American history from a president. It's uh, from March of 1863. And he said, a month from now, what we need to do is have a day of fasting and prayer for the nation as we are in the Civil War. But he, he talks about how we have been blessed by God in, in ways no other nation has ever been blessed, intoxicated with unbroken success. We've somehow assumed that all of this is from our own you know, uh, works and so forth. We, we have forgotten the hand of God who has allowed us to prosper in such great ways what we need to do is to uh repent of that and get back to god and uh mm -hmm. so you know a very interesting point and and 1863 really was the turning point in the civil this, war there were so many so many bad things that happened prior prior to that so uh we uh, what what we need in america is that revival you're talking about let me ask you this. You mentioned the rotunda of the Capitol, which is just amazing. I mean, it really is amazing. And those paintings around there uh, by mo most or, or some of them are by Trumbull. Is that is that right? Yes, that's my understanding. Yeah. Yes. So as you're going in, there are statues. The way, the way that I've gone into the Capitol down a hallway, well, one of the maybe the the last statue you see on your right before you go in is a, a minister named Roger Williams. Um, mm. What is the significance of, of Roger Williams? Uh, as you're entering the Capitol, a Baptist preacher is a statue there. Who was Roger Williams and what is his significance? Roger Williams was a Puritan who came in during the mass wave in the 1630s of all these thousands of Puritans who came into Massachusetts. They founded Boston, the city on a hill, and the 400th anniversary of that is coming up in a few years. But but Roger Williams was a stickler, and he, in some ways, he out-Puritaned the Puritans, if you will. Huh. And, and But he didn't necessarily get along with everybody. In fact, for a time, he was teaching in Plymouth, even. And Bradford writes, you know, he was a good brother, but uh, there was something a little off. But in any event, when he was in Boston, the Puritan fathers finally said, look, we're going to have a, a free man's oath. Every man must swear allegiance to this colony so we can have this cohesion and so forth. And he said, well, I don't agree with this. This violates my conscience. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no, no. I don't okay. want to take an oath. And they said, okay, that's the, that's the bottom line or that's, the, that's it. You're done. The next ship that goes to England, you're going to be on that. And for the first time, he directly disobeyed an order. And he went in the wilderness during wintertime and was helped by Indians, Native Americans all along the way with whom he had a great, great relations. And he ended up founding a settlement in what is today Rhode Island, the settlement that he created. And he made it as a haven for religious freedom. People, uh, whatever they were distressed of conscience, they were free to come and and worship there in in Rhode Island and not have to worry about you know any kind of sign any kind of statement of creed or that kind of thing and he even named the capital that the city that he named after or that he founded he named it after God and that that name is still in existence to this day providence is just an old fashioned way of talking about God the God of the Bible yeah. the God yeah. who 
gives us life and who sustains us through his providence, through his provisional care. Now, don't tell the ACLU, we've got a U.S. Capitol named after God. Uh, yeah. Now, I do know that they've gone after Corpus Christi in Texas, but that's not a Capitol bill. Capitol <laughs> there, there is Body one in crime. California, too. The Capitol, you know, is in reference to the Lord's table, Sacramento, but that's another story. Okay, so Roger Williams is significant because of this idea of of here in, in America, you are free to practice what you wish. And then uh, jumping ahead, maybe 60 years or so, 50 years or so later, William Penn does the same thing in the colony he received as a gift to his father, the King Charles II, owed a debt to William, Admiral William Penn. And so he gave his son, even though the guy was a Quaker, and therefore unwelcome, you know, in terms of his beliefs. Uh, but he gave him this large tract of land. We know it today as Pennsylvania. It even included, by the way, the map in those days was even larger than today's Pennsylvania. But he made that, mm. William Penn did, as a land where we're going to base everything on the, the golden rule. And people here are free to worship God any way they wish. And eventually that changed to, you know, worship God or not worship God any way they wish. But this is part of the whole American experiment, always getting back to this, these two core ideas, self-rule under God. That's what makes yes. the, the present time so crazy that Jews are being hunted down in America. Yeah. No, uh, there, there should be no sanction for bigotry, said George Washington in one of his letters to, uh, to one of the synagogues. In those days. Oh, by the way, that synagogue was in Newport, Rhode Island, the colony that uh, Roger Williams founded as a Baptist minister for those distressed of conscience. I've got a follow up question, but first we're going to go to Oklahoma. I uh, got a caller, Darvin. Darvin in Oklahoma. Uh, am I pronouncing your name correctly, Darvin? Yes. Wonderful. Well, uh, welcome to Truth and Liberty with our special guest, Dr. Jerry Newcomb. Do you have a question? Yes, I just want to know, is it not because that we do not put God first and foremost in our lives like we ought to, that we've opened up a gate for the enemy to come and to lie to the other people in this country, to deceive them, like about things such as supporting Israel, and some people are even going up against Israel. Hmm. Uh, have, we, have we opened the door to Satan? Dr. Newcomb. I didn't fully understand everything he was saying, but if you look at today, modern America, I think we certainly have opened the door to Satan. Uh, mm -hmm. There was a, a book written in 1971 called uh, the, the Handbook for the Radicals, or I, I forget the exact name, but it's the book the, by- The Saul Alinsky book? Yeah, Handbook for Radicals or Rules, Rules for Radicals, that's what it's called. Right. And he actually says in the foreword, he says, this book is dedicated uh, to Lucifer, that one who, who you know, won his own kingdom by rebelling against God. And it's like, whoa. But the reason I mention this is Saul Alinsky, as a, as a teacher, as a mentor who died in 72, he uh, taught indirectly Barack Obama. Barack Obama even taught in the Saul Alinsky Institute and so forth in Chicago, and then he he taught also directly to Hillary Clinton and so forth. 
the the idea uh, that's brought out in Saul Alinsky's book, Rules for Radicals, is that basically what really counts is seizing power, and you get it by any means necessary. It, it's Machiavellian uh, to the core. It's it's uh, you know a, a, anything is good as long as uh, as you seize the power, and that's that's wrong. I think that definitely opens the door. Now, as far as immigrants coming to America and so forth. Uh, it's very important for people as much as they can to try and assimilate to America. There's certainly situations where some people, especially with the, the porous open borders on, on the southern border, this is a catastrophe where people who want to even destroy America perhaps are, are, are getting through. We don't even know. There's no vetting. It's just it's a, it's a disaster. And you know, I'm not sure how the how long the country can last if these present trends continue. But in yeah. the meantime, yeah. those that that are distressed of conscience that want to uh, come and and experience, uh, you know, the freedom to worship God the way they want to, or even not to worship God, that has been part of the American experiment. And I think it's overall it's been a, a a very positive thing. It's almost like, you know, the 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 Christian ideal of love your neighbor as yourself, allowing people uh, to to believe what they want to. But but what's happened is the unbeliever, the non-believer, as, as Bill Federer likes to put it, it was Christians who came up with the idea of tolerance, and uh, you know now the atheists have come in and they basically said, well, uh, you know, the boat's too crowded. And they, so they want to throw the Christians out, the very ones who gave the whole idea of, of tolerance. Hey, listen to this, Dr. Newcomb. I've got a quote I want you to comment on. And Darvin in Oklahoma, I think you're going to appreciate this. Okay, this quote, and <clears throat> sadly, we're almost out of time. Daniel Webster, and, and he uses the words, quote, the evangelical volume. He's talking about the Bible, the Word of God. Daniel Webster said, quote, if the evangelical volume does not reach every hamlet, every small town, then the pages of a corrupt and licentious literature will. If the power of the gospel is not felt throughout the length and breadth of this land, anarchy and misrule, degradation and misery, corruption and darkness will reign without mitigation or end. Daniel Webster. Dr. Jerry Newcomb, we've only got three minutes. Would you comment on that, that quote? It's that's fantastic. Uh, sounds like a future column. <laughs> that I'm serious. It's that kind of thing that the founders said, and and he wasn't a founder. He was uh, one of the greatest orators in the 19th century. And there's a statue to him in in, in D.C. I hope, I hope the statue topplers haven't torn it down. But but mm -hmm. he did talk about things like that. That the it was Christianity that uh, we need to spread because that's. That, that's the key. See, people have to be born again. People have to accept Jesus Christ. When you accept Jesus Christ, he changes your whole priority and he changes your life and he makes you a good and productive citizen. And, uh, you know, we have a serious problem where there's literally millions and millions of people who are almost encourage not to work. And yet the Bible says if a man refuses to work, neither shall he eat. And there are a lot of people when they become born again, they realize, oh, I need to 
I've been a, a, a liability society, a society. I need to obey Jesus. And then they become an asset to society. Look at Star yeah. Parker of, you know, Urban Cure and so forth. Wonderful yeah. Christian that you probably had her on before. Yeah, but sure. She used to be on welfare. She had four abortions. Then she got saved. And she was talking with one of her ministers or and he said, you're on welfare? Why are you on welfare? The Bible says if a man refuses to work, then neither shall he eat. So she started for the first time learning personal responsibility, first time in her life. And it, it just changed her. And now she tries to help others in the same way. So what we yeah. need truly is the gospel. We need people to be born again, to embrace the, the rulership of Jesus Christ in our hearts. And as more and more people do that, it helps change society. And even small numbers of people dedicated to the Lord can make a huge difference uh, in yes. our world. We've even seen that with, uh, you know, some of the parents who got involved when they've seen terrible education and curriculum trying to, you know, that the public schools were trying to force, uh, for example, in Virginia and so forth. And then the other side ends up calling them haters and all this kind of stuff. Hey, if you're going to get involved in the Lord's work, be prepared to be, you know, attacked. You're going to have a target in your back. Hey, we're almost out of time. Folks, we've an incredible week of shows later on in the week. Kevin Sorbo, uh, Andrew Womack, Richard Harris, Dwayne Sheriff, myself. It's always great on Truth and Liberty. And uh, folks, pray for the ministry uh, bookmark and share truthandliberty.net, please. But Dr. Jerry Newcomb, uh, thank you for being on the program tonight, but even more importantly, thank you for what you're doing for the Great Commission and for our nation. I know I speak for millions of when I say, Dr. Jerry Newcomb, we are sincerely grateful. Well, Providenceforum.org is a great place to see what we're doing providenceforum.org. Well, folks, God bless you. Remember, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Tell somebody about truth and liberty. Most important, tell everybody about Jesus. God bless you. Thank you for joining today's Truth and Liberty livecast. You can watch today's and past livecasts in our archives at truthandliberty.net. Our goal is to educate Christians and connect them with resources and organizations to help them impact their sphere of influence. You can help us accomplish this by making a donation at truthandliberty.net slash donate. Join us next time for more Truth and Liberty.